Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8 is our scripture reading. We're going to read uh, the first eight verses and then we're going to go over to verse 26 and read from there to the end of the chapter. Acts chapter 8. Let's hear again the breathed out word of the Lord to us tonight. And Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. They were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him, but Saul was ravaging the church. And entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. Now turn over to verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure, He had come up to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the Spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep that was led to slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation, for his life is taken from the earth? And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth. And beginning with this scripture, he told them the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch. And he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. And the eunuch saw him no more. And went on his way, rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus. And as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. As far as the reading of God's word, may God add his blessing to it, even as we bow in prayer at this time. Shall we pray? Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the ability to freely open your word this evening. We pray that you'll give Pastor Bob everything that he stands in need of, Father, as he brings your word to us, that we'll be encouraged and strengthened by it, but also, Father, that like Philip, 
we'll be encouraged to bring the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ to those that are lost. And Father, we pray that uh, to that end, your word will be at work in us. All this in the precious name of our Savior alone we pray. Amen. Amen. So we need to go back to Acts chapter 6 for our sort of introduction to this man by the name of Philip because there's two main Philips in Scripture. One is the disciple. We, we had a message on him a number of weeks ago, I think perhaps at the very beginning of summertime. Uh, we dealt with the disciple Philip. This is not the disciple. And uh, we'll, we'll, when you read, if you just read Acts chapter 8, it'd be kind of hard to pick that up, but it's there. Uh, there's one little phrase that lets us know we're not dealing with that Philip. We're dealing with the other Philip that has been named, and that's the one that occurs to us in Acts chapter 6. In that chapter, Philip emerges as a man who is chosen. That's our first point. A man chosen. And what is he chosen to do? Well, if you recall, Acts chapter 6 is they're, they're finding deacons. They're finding deacons because there is an issue. And the point of the deacons comes down to us in verse 2 when it says, And the twelve summoned the full number of disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching of the word to serve tables. And so we get the idea that, first of all, the responsibility of a deacon is one of service. And that's Philip. Because Philip is one of those who is chosen, as you see down in verse 5. Not only Stephen, a man full of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and then the rest of the seven that are chosen. So he is a man that is chosen, but he's chosen to serve. But as you read the text, he's chosen to serve for a particular situation. And the situation was this, this problem that, that developed between the various widows and the distribution of food. And that the Hellenist widows were being overlooked. Now, Hellenist simply refers to the fact that they were of Greek background. They, they, were, of, of the, they were Jewish women, but they were Greek. The other group is full Jewish. And somehow or another, when the food got distributed, the Jewish Jewish widows, they got their portion. But the Greek Jewish widows did not. Or they didn't get as much. So there's a problem. There's, there's kind of a, hey, there's an unfairness. There's an injustice going on. What do we do? Well, we're going to choose seven men to serve, to meet this particular need. All of the men who are chosen, by the way, are Hellenists. All the men are of Greek background, including Philip. The name itself is a Greek name, coming from Philip of Macedonia. Uh, the father of Alexander the Great. So they're naming him after somebody pretty important in Greek history. But what we need to see is that he's not just chosen to serve for a need. He's chosen to serve 
because of his character. What does the text tell us in verse 3? Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute. They had a good reputation. All seven, including our Philip. Secondly, not only good repute, but they were full of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit was in their lives. Now, it doesn't mean they were perfect. It doesn't mean they were without sin. That isn't what being filled with the Holy Spirit means. If, if they were perfect, they would be in glory. There are no perfect people here on earth except our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So full of the Holy Spirit means that the Holy Spirit is involved in every area of their life. Such was Philip. And, what else does verse 3 say? And of wisdom. They know that there is a sense, they have a, they have a sense of how to apply the truth of God's word to the various situations that they face in life. Now remember, they have no New Testament. So when we talk about the truths of Scripture, we're talking about the Old Testament. They know the Scriptures, and they know how that Scripture applies to life. And they know how to, how to make those connections. That's Philip. He's one of those seven. He is one of these chosen men for service in the church of Jesus Christ. Now, the next time we meet him is in our text for this night, Acts chapter 8. Now, what happens? Well, we find out, it, the way I summarized Acts chapter 8 as far as what we see with Philip, if in Acts chapter 6 he's a man chosen, then in Acts chapter 8 he's a man that is used. He's a man that is used by the Lord in two ways. One, he's used to minister the gospel to these Samaritans. Now, here's where it comes in that we know this is not Philip the disciple, Philip the apostle. How do we know that? Because listen to what it says about what happened. There is this persecution that breaks out. And the believers are scattered. They are all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. Except the apostles. Which means which Philip stayed in Jerusalem. Philip the apostle. The apostles in the midst of this great persecution don't leave. They stay in Jerusalem to face this initial onslaught of persecution that has begun. The leaders take the brunt. They stay. But some of those who were believers are scattered. Including Philip. Now there's no negative there. It's not like, oh Philip, you did a bad thing. You were scattered. You, you left Jerusalem. No, that was just practical wisdom. Remember, he is a man full of wisdom. He might have even been assigned by the disciples. Hey, as a deacon, it's probably good you go with these folks. 
Follow along with the Hellenists where then they go to Samaria. We don't know all the ins and outs of how it happened. It's just that scripture makes no negative about this. So in the midst of this persecution, Philip goes to Samaria. Now notice what happens. Philip the deacon becomes the proclaimer of Christ. Now, there's some today who might have a big tizzy about this. Oh, wait a minute, deacon is a deacon, and they shouldn't be proclaiming the Christ. Remember what I said earlier. These men were chosen for a particular responsibility, and that's they had to work this thing out with these widows. What has happened to the situation? Persecution has come. What's happened to the widows? They're all dispersed. End of need for the seven. But God says, I got another need for you, Philip. I got another need. I'm going to send you into Samaria. Because remember, God is sovereign and God works all things out for his good pleasure. God takes even the sinful acts of men and uses him for his purposes. Here is Saul's persecution. What happens? The church spreads and what happens? Christ is proclaimed. Christ is proclaimed by a man who, who was a deacon. We're eventually going to call this guy Philip the Evangelist, although I don't think Scripture ever uses that particular title. At least the ESV doesn't use it of him. So here he is in the middle of persecution. The threat is only a few miles away. And yet here he is proclaiming Christ where? In Samaria. Two Samaritans. What did Jesus say? You're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. We see that all captured in Philip. Here he is ministering to Samaritans. Don't Jews hate Samaritans? Not Christians. Not Christians. Christians don't hate Samaritans. Christians bring the message of salvation. Christians bring the gospel. That's what Philip is doing. He's bringing the message of the gospel to people who, who by Jewish standards would be outcasts. Maybe that's why the Lord sends him as a Hellenist. Maybe God saw fit that, hey, the first person to bring the message of salvation outside of Jesus Christ to the woman at the well and so on, but the first to really bring that in the church era Maybe that ought to be a Hellenist because maybe there'll be a better connection there and they'll receive it better. Philip preaches the gospel. And note, he performs signs. Right? Saw the signs, end of verse 6, that he did. And then we get the list. Unclean spirits, paralyzed folks, lame folks were healed. This man, this, this man who was appointed as a deacon in Jerusalem, who is driven from Jerusalem by persecution, now goes to Samaria, proclaims Christ, accompanied by signs and wonders, authenticating the truth of the ministry. And notice that last line of that section. And there was much joy in the city. When Christ is proclaimed, 
when the gospel is preached and the Holy Spirit works, that glorious work of being born again, what is the result? There is joy. There is joy. Oh, we have the little interlude that I didn't read dealing with Simon Magus, but most of that has to deal with the fact not only that he hears Philip's preaching, sees Philip's signs, but then the disciples, Peter, has to come there and to deal with the circumstance. But it would be safe to conclude, Philip has a pretty successful ministry going on there in Samaria. Gospel being proclaimed, signs being performed, many people becoming believers, there is much joy in the city. What a contrast in the next verse that I read. Go with me there, right? As we go to verse 26. Now the angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. What's the next line? This was a desert place. Okay, Lord, I have a successful ministry here in Samaria. Things are going pretty good. Church is growing, right? People are hearing the gospel. I'm proclaiming the gospel. I'm performing signs. There's all sorts of people coming to faith. We're, we're even dealing with the, the head witch, I guess we could say, uh, sorcerer of the town. We're, we're dealing with him. We're, we're getting things straight here in Samaria. Samaria is being one for Christ. Uh, Philip wants you to go to a desert. What aren't there in the desert? People. There's people in Samaria. There's nobody in the desert. There's nobody there. See, if, if we applied what is happening in this passage to many evangelical preachers today, think of how this works out. I got a church of 10,000. People coming to Christ. We got, we got 150 baptisms a Sunday. We have an Olympic-sized swimming pool just to do the baptisms. We got Bible studies for every age group. We got ministry groups. Things are going great. We even got the city council starting to be converted. I want you to go to the middle of Nowheresville. There's nobody there. Leave that successful ministry. Go to the desert. How many, don't you think, would be asking, why? Why do that? But I want you to note we read none of that about Philip. Listen to what it says. 
This is a desert place. And he rose and went. There's no questioning of God. There's no asking of God. God, why would you want me to go to a desert place? Why, why would you want me to go in the middle? There's no questioning. Angel says go. God commands him to go. He goes. The obedience of Philip stands out so clearly. He is willing. Here he is walking along the road. <laughs> Nobody there. A little puff of dust. One guy in a chariot goes by. Angel, go to him. One guy. Where's the crowd, Lord? Where's the 500? Where's the 5,000 you sent me to minister to here? Go to the chariot. Once again, I want you to note Philip's response. And he ran to him. The obedience of Philip. He ran to him. With the good news of the gospel, he runs to the chariot. And he opened his mouth. He spoke to him. He engaged this man. He told him the good news of Jesus Christ. He told him about the passage he was reading and how that passage was fulfilled. Not in the prophet Isaiah, but in Jesus Christ. And the man says, I want to belong to Christ. And the chariot stops and they're baptized. And he baptizes them. He opens his mouth and proclaims the good news. What words now do we have associated with Philip? Service? Joy, obedience. But I want you to look at the very last verse that I read of this chapter, chapter 8. Now what? Well, perhaps I should end this by, by, and before I go there by saying, remember it was to Jerusalem, to Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. I would kind of imagine most of these people would think at about that time, Ethiopia is probably the end of the earth. One guy, in one man, Philip, Jerusalem, he served. To Samaria, he preached. To the ends of the earth, he affected. History, okay, not scripture, but history would lead us to believe that this man, this Ethiopian eunuch, goes back to the Ethiopia and the, the remnant today of faithful Christians that are in Ethiopia are a result of this man's going back and proclaiming the message of the gospel. This Ethiopian eunuch. He couldn't have children, so he didn't do it that way. He had to do it covenantally in the sense of preaching. The message of Christ. 
But look at that last verse. What does God do? Okay, Philip, <laughs> that was good. Nice job. Now I'll put you back in Samaria where you got all that success going on. Nope. God in some way moves him. Okay, He's caught up in some way. Philip finds himself at Azotus. Now Azotus, to us, probably reading this doesn't mean much, right? Azotus, what's Azotus? Azotus is the New Testament name for an Old Testament place named Ashdod. Ashdod was given to Judah, but was never conquered by Judah and always remained a Philistine stronghold. Ashdod is the place where the Ark of the Covenant is brought and we have the whole scene with Dagon and the Temple of Dagon and the, the, uh, the Statue of Dagon, the idol falling down before the Ark. All of that, that's Ashdod. In reference point, it's about 18 miles northeast of Gaza. So the next time you hear about the Gaza Strip and Gaza, you can think, okay, he, he's, he's along the coast there. In some senses, we would say, this is the heart of pagan territory. God plants him there. What does he do? He preached the gospel. What does he do after he leaves Azatoth? He goes to town. And what does he do along the towns? He preaches the gospel. What does he do then? He goes to Caesarea. What does he do at Caesarea? He preaches the gospel. Do you get the zeal of this man? Do you get the fire in his bones? Do you get the fact that this is a guy who, who if it had been written at the time, would have been singing, I will sing of my Redeemer. He can't help but open his mouth, whether it's in the successful ministry in Samaria that God is blessing, or whether it's to a single solitary Ethiopian eunuch in a chariot. He is going to preach the gospel, whether it's in the midst of pagan territory or up and down the coastline in all these small little villages, he is going to preach the gospel. Whether or not it is a town that is under control of the Roman Empire, he is going to preach the gospel. What a message the Lord has for you and I in this man. What is our passion? What is our zeal? Are we that passionate about the gospel? Are we that desirous to bring the message of salvation to others? Hey, I want you to know, he's never been ordained to preach. Oh, imagine that. He, he never went through seminary. Imagine that. Nobody called him to be an elder. He doesn't have a new job. This is just what a believer does. 
they can't help but speak the message of the gospel. This is our challenge in our day and in our age. This is what God calls us to. Whether it's successful ministries like he had in Samaria, single individuals, or up and down the coastline, to the nations of this world, it's to proclaim the gospel that Jesus Christ saves. But we meet him once more. I want you to turn, because we don't hear of him again, okay? After he goes to Caesarea, we don't hear of him again until Acts chapter 21. Now, understand that several years were spanning. Years and years and years are being spanned as we turn from Acts chapter 8 to Acts chapter 21. Paul has done his journeys. He's about on his way to Jerusalem and he's going to be arrested and that's going to result in his going to Rome and that's basically what the rest of the book of Acts is about. But in Acts chapter 21, as he returns, okay, as he returns from that third missionary trip then, go down to verse 8. Now Luke is telling us the story okay, about him and the other companions along with Paul. Verse 8, on the next day we departed and came to Caesarea, and we entered the house of Philip, oh there it is, the evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. He's still there. He's still ministering in Caesarea. I titled this last point, He's a Man Who's Blessed. You know why he's blessed? This guy spent his whole life preaching the gospel, telling others the good news of Jesus Christ. Do you know what God gave him the opportunity to do in the latter stages of his life? He got to have Paul in his house. Can you imagine the stories Paul could tell? Okay, can't you just see Philip sitting at the table with Paul and Paul and him saying, okay, now tell me all about that first journey again. Tell me, where did you go? And, and the messages you preached, how did, how did, what messages did you preach? And, and how did people respond? Oh, yeah, and the miracles. Oh, isn't it? He, 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 could, he could just absorb. The story of this missionary. Because you see his heart, his heart had the passion to hear and to preach the message of the gospel. And to hear what Paul has done and where Paul has gone and the people who have been converted under the ministry of Paul by the power of the Holy Spirit. The good news going throughout the entire empire. He's never left a 30-mile circle. Now he gets to hear the good news of the gospel. Can you imagine how blessed that would be? To just sit and listen to Paul. 
See, that's the blessing of hospitality. He opened up his home and he took in Paul. And the blessing was he got to hear about the gospel. Wouldn't you like to do that? Wouldn't you like to just sit with a missionary, okay? Not in a formal situation, but just sit and hear. Ah, this is the work of God. You want an encouragement in the midst of the day and age in which we're live, living? Listen to a missionary. Oh, I have the opportunity for you to do that. We have two missionaries coming to visit this fall. We have Ben Hop and his wife and one of his little children are going to be here. They need a place to stay on a Saturday night. Wouldn't it be great on a Saturday night to listen to Ben tell you about what's going on with the gospel in Haiti? Oh, and then in November, the end of November, we have... That Sam guy coming, okay? Trying to be quiet, okay? We have the Sam guy coming. Wouldn't it be great without all the constrictions that we have to deal with because where he serves to hear what God's really doing in that dark, dark country? You have that opportunity to be blessed. Oh, but I can't stop there, can I? That, that, it would be easy just to stop there and say, isn't that wonderful? Because we've got to deal with the next verse too, don't we? What's the next verse? Listen. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. Philip is a blessed man. Not only because of the hospitality that he displayed, but he has four daughters, virgins. The word that's used in the Greek means committed to. It's not they just couldn't find anybody. Okay? Now, I remember reading this one time to a, a group of young men, and their question was, were they all ugly? No, that's not the point. The point is they were committed they were committed to being single because they had a desire and they didn't want anything to impinge upon that desire. What is that desire? To proclaim the message of Christ. They prophesied. Your young men and maidens shall prophesy. Joel chapter 2. Peter quotes it at Pentecost. Prophesy is not official position in the church. It's not an ordained position in the church. Prophesying simply means to foretell the truth of God. Philip spent his whole life preaching the message of the gospel. You know what his blessing is? His blessing is he gets to hear from Paul. But his blessing is he has four daughters who have taken up the cause of telling others the message of salvation. What a message the Lord gives to us in this man 
What an encouragement. What a challenge for our lives. Maybe it's time. Maybe it's time. Maybe you're older in life even. And you're like, yeah, it's never really been me. Well, maybe it's time. Maybe it's time that you reflect upon that and think about that and to use these last days, weeks, months, years that the Lord has given to you to be one who proclaims Jesus Christ. But maybe some of you young people need to be challenged in this as well. Maybe you too need to be thinking about maybe all this stuff about getting married and so on, it's wonderful. It's a blessed institution that God has given to us. But don't try to force yourself into that just for the sake of getting married. Maybe God has a different call upon your life to use you in a different way for his glory and for his honor, even as these four daughters of Philip were. And you know what? They didn't have children. They didn't have husbands. But oh, oh, they were a blessing to their father. And you will be too. Not just your earthly father, but your heavenly father. Consider that. And let us consider in this week, whoever God calls us to, bringing that message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Father, thank you for the challenging life of Philip. We see the blessings, we see his faithfulness, we see his obedience, we see the joy that he brought, we see his willingness to serve and be used by you wherever, to whomever. It was Christ, it was Christ and Christ alone that he desired to glorify. And we pray, Father, we pray then your blessings upon us as we too seek to be the evangelists of our day of our age, of our society, of our culture, of our workplace, of our homes, of our neighborhood. And Lord, if it be such that there are young people who are hearing this this evening, Lord, who, who have been contemplating a life of ministry, Lord, then we pray that perhaps these words might come as a confirmation upon their hearts and in their lives, Lord, to use them for your glory and for your honor in the work of missions. In Christ's name, God's people say, Amen.